Let me teach you how to eat. Let me teach you how to eat. How to marinate the meat. Let me teach you how to eat. Let's get us started, sir. Welcome to Hot Stove Society Radio on Cairo. Radio 97.3 FM. It's Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. We're coming to you from the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. We have a lively audience that's going to have a delicious breakfast this morning. Uh, we're excited about uh, moving on from our baked eggs that we've had with Mornay sauce, arugula. To, to, to today, it's a surprise. Uh, you'll see it. If you're watching us online on YouTube, you'll get a firsthand look at our new Delicious breakfast. Smells good. That Pamela, our producer, is upset with because <laughs> she doesn't feel like it fits the hot stove category, which is odd because we do tons. I can't wait. We do tons of this. Like last time I cooked here, I did this this meal. So. You do everything here, so I know we do everything. I don't here. know why we do it. Anyway, Pam is here today. She puts our show together. Sean is our technical director. He's in the house, and of course, the hot stove chefs and presenters uh, Annie and Bridget are in the back uh, cooking up breakfast. Chef, I own several restaurants, as you know. I uh, know, and I can't and wait to hear about the palace. How is that palace going? Palace is coming along. We've, uh, we're, we should be open in a month or so. Okay, and, so uh, very by excited July. about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we just had our third year anniversary of being closed. Isn't that the weirdest thing? You know, a lot of restaurants don't make it to their third anniversary of being open. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, it's the craziest thing. You know, when we closed three years ago, we had 20 businesses, and now we have 10. We're back to 10, so it's uh, nice to be working our way back. But we also have, you know, operating businesses. And the one that I'm excited for you and I to go to is to check out Etta's Big Mountain Barbecue down yes. in the Pike Place Market. I almost did the other day, except it was closed. I know, it was closed. <laughs> we close on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, But, you know, come spring, yeah. uh, come May 1st, I believe, we go to seven days a week. So. Okay. So Etta's in Seatown in the Pike Place Market area, and then, of course... Uh, Right around here, Carlisle Room, Lola downstairs. We got a lot of action going on, and a big show. And there's a new surprise one, which I'm not going to talk about yet, but it's going to open in May. Ooh, a bit of a surprise. It's an existing location that we own, and I've been paying rent on for a long time with no business. I in think there. I know what it is. Yeah, well, it's, it's a surprise. Keep it to yourself. You're listening to us on Cairo, of course. We've been here a, a very long time, which makes Chef Terry very old. Uh, we are enjoying our live audience who joined us here to taping the show. Very handsome audience today. If you want to come uh, come hang out with us on a Thursday morning, generally, uh, hotstovesociety.com is the place you can find tickets. Or you can, of course, uh, watch us on YouTube by turning to the Tom Douglas and Company channel. Hello, YouTubers. Hello, YouTubers. So, Pamela, we have a lot of diverse topics today. Uh, some tasty tuna ideas. Now, can you just narrow that down? Are we talking... Canned tuna, fresh tuna, albacore, I'm ahi. Hoping, I'm hoping you'll uh, have ideas for both canned and ahi, fresh uh-huh. ahi. But there's a lot of beautiful ahi in the market right now. So okay. maybe we focus on that. And we'll talk about hey. that. Uh, when's the last time you went on a good date? Uh, as many times as I can. Yeah. Well, there's one <laughs> in front sure. of you. You're welcome to go on a date with me today. Oh, We're going to try some uh, Julie's... California Superfruit Organic Medjool Dates. Talk about why it's important to have these kind of dates compared to the old ones that... Remember the ones you used to get in the supermarket that were like rocks and they had a hole drilled through the center where they took the pit out and blah, blah, blah. And they were skin dry that would peel off, yeah. You will actually like dates again when you try the Medjool Dates. 
constructing uh, zingy and vibrant green sauces. It's one of my favorite because it uses up everything out of the garden that you kind of got left over. There's a new restaurant in town called the Mint Progressive. It's where Heartwood Provisions used to be down on First Avenue. Oh, yeah. I have not been there yet. Have you? Yes. I went to spy on it knowing they were coming. Uh Uh-huh. So we went Saturday night and pretty much ate through the menu. Spectacular. Spectacular. Yeah, I don't think it's... Essentially, what people think about when they think about Indian food, they don't think about a restaurant number one named Mint Progressive. I know. (laughs) And then uh, when I read through the menu on the website, it's like, wow, they got some stuff going on. A lot of tamarind gel. A lot of tamarind. A lot of tamarind gel. But you're going to love the lamb. Am I? And the short rib. Really? Mm -hmm. You know, lamb. And the cocktails. Lamb is my taste of the week, so I'm going to. I'm curious about that. And a question from our uh, listener Victoria. (laughs) In Victoria. Oh, in Victoria, listener Roberto. On ingredient substitutes, I'm anxious for that. I love listener questions. And if you ever want to put uh, get some on the air, what do you what do they do if they want to send their question in? Through YouTube, through email, whatever they want. That's right, because on YouTube we can go live with questions. Yeah. You can come in the audience and ask yeah. questions. Yeah, we're accessible. And of course, uh, our show is going to two hours is going to wrap up with uh, food for thought, tasty trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love. Spice rubs and sauces. Who do we have today for contestants? I think we're going to get somebody from the audience. We don't know yet. But we do know the person in the audience that does play gets their choice of three lovely spice rubs from our gift shop after the show. You know, the gift shop gets very crowded after the show, so I would suggest getting there early. I would suggest you eye what you want now. (laughs) Uh, Chef, what's your taste of the week? Uh, Fresh halibut. Oh. I got my first halibut of the season. Delivered to my house by one of my uh, fishmongers that, from the past. Delivered to your house? Yes. Wow, you're important. Uh, you know, I'm a good person. You know, you just, <laughs> just don't hurt the fishmonger and he'll deliver. Anyway, um, a beautiful 35-pounder. Delivered wow. to your house? Delivered to my house. 35 pounds? Yeah. And I processed it and I made fish stock. And I, the most important part I want to say is this halibut was obviously magnificent fish, fresh out of the water from Niabe, outside of Niabe over there. Cooked in olive oil, rosemary, thyme, cr- um, pureed um, roasted garlic. Uh-huh. So I put all that in the olive oil and put the halibut in there and cook very slowly. Like an olive it, oil poach? Is that? Correct. Yeah. So it cooks in, I mean, five minutes at most. Pieces that are an inch and a half thick. Because you cook it for about two and a half minutes. You bring the heat medium. You cook the fish for two and a half minutes on one side. You flip it over. In two and a half minutes later, it's ready. And the whole time, it's, I put a lid on top just to cover the whole thing. Oh, so that helps. the heat doesn't disappear. Um, and also, so it does, I don't want it to boil. Like you know, I'm not trying to fry it. I'm trying to just cook it slowly. But it cooks fat be, fast because the meat is beautiful, tender, and so fresh. And a piece of halibut like this with just some steamed vegetables. Holy mackerel. No, no halibut. Halibut. Holy halibut. That was so incredible and reminded me of, again, how privileged we are to live in this part of the world where we can get, you know, such beautiful, pristine seafood. Hmm. You know, and like... For free. Just call somebody and it, it wasn't comes free. to your it house. Was, it was definitely not free, but... 35 pounds. Yeah. Uh, my taste of the week is... Um, and it, was, it occurred, I was out trying to clean up this, I lost five trees at the farm back in November in a storm, and I've been trying to clean them up with my chainsaw. And I should, looked down and all my neighbor's uh, baby lambs had been born. And so it made me think, I had last year's crop in my freezer, right. and so I'm looking at these little guys prancing around, and I'm thinking about the guy in my freezer, and so I put a lamb shoulder roast on my Barbie mm. for about six hours. 
And it's uh, it's leaner than a pork shoulder roast, right. which is what we make pulled pork from. But the lamb shoulder roast stuffed with garlic, just low and slow on the barbie. Mm. That's the secret, Delicious. low and slow. Low and slow. Low, low and slow. Don't, don't I know where meat. that meat comes from. Yeah. And Sometimes then, we don't know. But that one, <laughs> and I know where next year's meat's going to come from. So did you have a bean stew with that? I had a vegetable stew with the, the Prosser Farm uh, mm. Last of the Prosser Farm peas and all, all sorts of deliciousness. We have to keep going here. So many reasons to have a stash of dates in the pantry, and we're going to talk about one called Medjool Dates on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Waiting for the dinner bell to do the bell thing. Dinner bell, dinner bell ring. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. We're all on a date today. We're on a date here with each other. We're happy to be dating. And uh, sometimes uh, when you haven't had a date for a while, you really look forward to the next date. <laughs> That's right. Um, you long for it. You long Ooh, for good it. One. I always look forward to it. Yeah. Nice lead in. All right, let's talk dates. Pam, what, is, um, what did you bring us here? Because they're awfully tasty. I hate to admit it, but I am sucked in by really adorable packaging. Oh, really? So, There's a shocker. A shocker. So I walked into PCC this week, and there was this vibrant aqua box of Julie's. And what an adorable name that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is a fabulous take on shortening the variety of date that is in this package. It's a Majul date from the Coachella Valley in California. And it has had the pit removed, and they're absolutely delicious. They are delicious. And I was re- they've got a wonderful website that's completely inspirational. But as you know, what I love about it even more than the cute packaging is all the nutritional benefits of <laughs> eating a, a beautiful date because they're packed with vitamins <coughs> and minerals. And so you could just pretend it's your multi vitamin that you're taking every day and they're high in antioxidants and they're a great source of fiber so they're also mention, very sugar they're also they're very high sugar. on potassium and potassium as part of the <clears throat> if your doctor says your bone need to have some stricture just eat some dates so if you hate bananas you can the, eat dates the only problem with yeah and the only problem with dates is they're about 60 calorie per date yeah you so get, don't eat five pounds of it yeah, it is. The sugars are concentrated in it, but they're natural sugars. And right. so um, I'm just a big fan. And I want oh. you guys to tell me how I can eat them besides in uh, with peanut butter. Well, I must I must say that I went to Morocco last September, October and brought back eight pounds of fresh picked medjool from the area right next to the desert there. When you get a good date, it's just like real life. When you get a good date, you do remember. <laughs> I mean, exactly. just like when you get a bad one, you remember too. <laughs> I mean, it's just very simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, the difference is just day and night. Okay, so the people, most people can't get them direct from Morocco. So what made the Moroccan dates even better than the ones we have in front of us? The, the tenderness of it, the freshness of it, you can tell the difference. There is no dry to it. It's all supple and tender and sweet not quite as sweet maybe as this uh, there is it's just the mouthfeel is incredible and it's a very special thing and the one that i had who just picked like 
three weeks before. Mm-hmm. So when they dry like this, like the ones you see in our supermarket, right? They um, just they concentrate more and they get a little crusty on the outside. Correct. Yeah, which it doesn't hurt anything. No, no, it doesn't hurt anything. It's just a different style. But I really loved that that tenderness and that freshness of the fruit. It was just incredible. Now, when I grew up, we grew up with these kind of boxed dates that you get. Uh, in the center aisle of the grocery, uh, kind of like you get box or canned sardines, but there's a box of dates, and there are these dried little pellets <laughs> nasty. that are nasty. When I first discovered Medjool dates maybe 25, 30 years ago, it was a revelation. Absolutely. And we started doing everything with them, including we would take these dates. Um, of course, we weren't as fancy as you. Ours had to have the pits taken out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we'd take the big pits out. They're a bigger style date, and we'd stuff it with spicy chorizo. And oh, then oven, oven roast them because you get that hot against the sweet date. It goes well with blue cheese. Like you, you can stuff them with blue cheese and bake them quickly, and the cheese starts melting, and you just eat that 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 uh, date. Mm-hmm. It's a very very good thing. There's lots you can do. There's a, a pancetta or bacon, yeah. uh, Italian bacon, or the smoky American style bacon. The way, Wrap the date with that and oven right. roast them, and let the let it get crisp. Let the bacon Correct. actually cook. People get worried. They get concerned that the date is burning or whatever. And I, but if with with kind of medium rare bacon, that's not good. I tell you the way they serve it. I've had it in, in Morocco a few times. Served with they just slightly open it, take the pit out, and replace it by a toasted nut, a toasted uh, oh, walnut. Walnut. That's really with just a little bit. So then, of, how is it served? Is that as an appetizer? Just as, as a yeah, on the platter. A little snack. As a little snack. Yeah. Okay. Like you would have that and some cookies and mint tea, mint tea and and uh, orange segments and you know things like that. Mm-hmm. That sounds so lovely. That does yeah. sound like a great afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's really, I don't know. It's very light. It doesn't feel like it's not imposing like a sandwich or whatever. It's much lighter of a of a fare and mm-hmm. it you know just stacks you up nicely for the next meal. <laughs> <laughs> but no. what about? The sticky toffee pudding. Yeah, of course. It's my favorite date dessert. Somebody here in the audience, uh, what is your name? Ben. He ruined ben. my day by guessing ben. Ben. guessing my favorite date dessert, which is sticky toffee pudding. And at my, uh, I belong to a golf club north of Glasgow in Scotland, and they make, in my experience, the best sticky toffee pudding. I've actually had it where they invented it in London. Called, I want to say it's called the Ring Restaurant or something like that. It's an old, old 1650, I think, was when the restaurant was born or something So do they crazy. use figs or, or dates? They use dates. Okay. And uh, they make it very popular dessert now, sticky toffee pudding. And you can serve it with, you know, fresh whip is probably sure. the ideal because sticky toffee pudding is very heavy. Correct. Typically has a caramel sauce on top <laughs> or a date butter Sauce on top. I like it with a shot of whiskey poured over top. Scotch sure, whiskey. you need yes. that. Oh, you need that. You can light it on fire. It comes out so beautiful. A good counterpoint is yeah. having the sharpness of the alcohol. But you really, if you if you want to gild the lily, you get a Isla whiskey. I S L A Y Isla whiskey, which is very smoky. It's done on peat, uh, and it's so. Is it peaty too? It's very smoky, and you put that over the sweet sticky toffee pudding. Oh my God, it is uh, delicious. So. Yeah, we put it all over and just light it up. And just I know people, people get freaked out about that peaty taste, but it's an acquired taste. Once you get kind oh, of it's used very to, acquired, yes. Yeah, once you get used to eating a good a good year tire, <laughs> a burning tire, that's what's peaty. Exactly. That's what it reminds oh, me. You're ready. For so that. delicious. That's I mean, what it reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, people love going to the Indianapolis 500 and smelling those burning tires. Uh-huh. That's what it's like drinking in an Isla Scotch. 
That's one thing I haven't done and I will do in before the end of my lifetime, hopefully. Indianapolis 500? Yes, I'd like really? to see it once. Really? It's American. You got to see it. There you go. I don't. I don't have to see it. No? What is the equivalent in France? Les 24 heures du Mans. Ah. 24 hours of Le Mans. It's, yeah. That's an enduring race. Yes, it is. Uh, dates. Back to dates. In salads as well. You know, green apple, dates, and... Um, a little harissa dressing, uh-huh. so little oh, heat. harissa would be and ideal. And argan oil, you know, just a little Dijon mustard, mix the whole three together, and make a little dressing and put that all over that with some endive, little arugula, some spice greens, you know, greens with a little puckiness, and some frise, and, you know, just put all that you know, together. That sounds good, but I think the important part of what you said there was you're balancing out the sweetness of the dates right. with some vinaigrette. Or Correct. The bitter greens, right. Uh, right? Or the sharp uh, Granny Smith apples or, you know, because uh, dates are so intense, they have to be kind of balanced out. When you- They're definitely very sweet. So uh, you need to balance it up, especially if you're making a salad. I mean, thinks of dried raisins or stuff like that. That always needs to be balanced out with something acidic or something that counter it. All right. Pamela uh, is coming up. You know, the new salmon season is coming up. And I know you've ate salmon every Sunday for most of the year, but you've been dry now for a couple of months. And so now you're in the tuna, which we had when we were in Hawaii. Uh, I'm a big fan. You're a big fan. And so we're, let's go to have a little bit of tuna before the year is out. And we head back into salmon season right here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. 97.3 FM. All right, we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. People are busy eating their first course of their multi-course breakfast this morning, or second. You've already started with a date. Now we're heading into blueberry muffins. Bye, Sean. Don't call me Del Torre. What a a treat. We had a little visit from our editor, which is a rare event around here. Nice. I haven't seen Sean in years. It's funny that we do business with him every week. I know. know, He edits our show every week, and yet we never see him. That's right. It's the world we live in. Tuna. So, Pam, where did you see all this tuna that you want us to talk about? Well, you know, I go to Fresh Fish every Sunday. Yeah, I know you do. (laughs) So, So is that where you saw the tuna? Yep, and um, you got me hooked on tuna pudi. Tuna puntanesca? (laughs) Way back from the cafe sport days? Do tell. (laughs) I still make it all the time. That is so funny. Because I always have the essential ingredients. Capers, anchovies, olives. Parsley. Parsley. Lots of parsley, lemon, seared tuna over pasta. Over it's pasta. so fast, and it satisfies so many flavors. Do you, s- do you serve it as a whole piece or break it down? Sliced. I break it down. Yeah, yeah. you break it down. Yeah. Do you uh, recall how I used to serve it at Cafe Sport? No. You don't recall? That's why we're talking about it ah. today. Well, you had a lot of it correct. Okay. Uh, what did I miss? The pasta. Oh, yeah. You remember? Is it jogging any memories? You remember mm-hmm. what color the pasta was? Whole wheat penne. Oh, my God. You're so Green. gross. <laughs> Green. <laughs> Who would serve whole wheat penne with tuna puttanesca? Somebody who was very healthy, conscientious. Oh, my God. You're, you're from, you ran a hippie restaurant. I know that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, red chili pasta. Remember, I used to make no. the pasta, and it was all red, and it was made with like a... Smoked paprika and things like that that turn the pasta red. 
Wow. And that was the pasta base for the puntanesca, which is a mix, like you said. It can be dried herbs, fresh herbs, olive oil, tons of garlic, chilies, uh, anchovies, as you said, capers. Uh, I like some olives in there. And then I just made that pasta with olive oil and uh, preserved lemons and did the whole thing together. Uh And then put the sliced rare ahi on top. Beautiful. It was just... I don't know. It's such a funny thing that that dish became popular. I think it had to do mainly with the noodles. Because Puntanesca at the time wasn't anything new. What was the pasta again? Uh, it was just fresh pasta that we made every day. What, uh, kind, what type? We put chili powder in. Just of all-purpose flour. I love all-purpose. I'm not a big semolina pasta person. Was it a spaghetti or linguine? Like a fettuccine. That makes sense. Yeah. And the noodles came out red, and they were, they were delicious. And it's a simple thing. You just yeah. add chili powder no, to to your fresh pasta dough. So that's one way to do with ahi tuna. Let's go I'm on. A big, I'm a big salad niçoise, classic yeah. French salad. I, love, I mean, we have that all the time in my house. We use canned tuna, however. Um, albacore tuna from, not ahi, but albacore from uh, St. Jude. That's a nice product. It's a beautiful product. It's very local, obviously, and it supports local uh, families. So it's where it's at. But... You can use fresh tuna in any niçoise salad, which would make it even better than uh, by the can, because we eat by the can, but if you have fresh, it's even better. Boiled potato, haricot vert, or string beans. String beans is important. You don't want those tree trunk beans. You want nice, thin string bean blanched. Um, olives, very important. And then the rest is up to you. Chopped shallots is what I add to. I put a little caper in there, which is not normally there. And hard boiled egg. Yeah, so I usually le- do an egg. And lots of lettuce. I mean, lots of lettuce, usually from the garden or, you know, local, whatever. And uh, put the bed of lettuce on the, on the ground of the, uh, the plate, big plate, with a lemon olive oil dressing. So lemon olive oil is lemon juice, mustard, and olive oil whisked together really well. And you have a, you know, bind dressing of lemon. So a salt and pepper, and that's it. So you mix that together, and you mix that with the tuna, and the, uh, you drizzle a little bit on the rest of the ingredients, and then you have a wonderful fresh salad. And do you ever put a green base on your niçoise, or is it always right on the plate? On the plate. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes I put a little butter lettuce or something down first. Oh, no, but that's what I do. Is I, I use oh. lettuce. That's what I said. Lettuce on the oh, bottom. Oh, I missed the lettuce, yeah. Lettuce on the bottom. So it could be, you could go from Boston to, which is not very flavorful, but... We get some nice red leaves that we grow in the backyard, and you know it's easy to grow, and it it's a it makes for a great lettuce. But what I was going to say is, this is as good for dinner, especially as the weather warms up. Not today, but in the coming weeks, eating a beautiful salad like this for dinner is filling. You know, you and don't forget, grilled bread is very important with this. <laughs> with everything, a good grilled a good bread. country grilled bread. So you could choose to take your bread and cut it in small cubes and put it into your salad, or just use it on the side. Um, it also makes a great, if you take an half an avocado well ripe and you put it on top of your grilled bread and put your, your niçoise on top of that, that makes for a beautiful open face sandwich. I think so let's talk about cooking it for a second. Uh, you know, a lot of people get ahi and the, the tragedy is when it gets overcooked, right. unless it's intentional. Correct. So intentional would be where you maybe olive oil, poach it till it's... To it's cooked all the way through, but still moist. Right. And then you can use it instead of canned tuna on your niçoise or whatever. Correct. But if you were to sear a piece of tuna, there's a couple of ways I can think of. One is I, I sometimes do it on my charcoal grill. And we talk about uh, the difference between direct and indirect cooking. This is a time 
you want your most intense fire as close to the surface of your grill grate as Correct. possible. Like on my Weber, I can bring my fire up to within three inches or so, or yeah. I can build it in the bottom where it's typical. And don't touch the fish for at least a minute. Then well, let's, let's go back before you go to that. So now you've got this intense heat. Yeah. What are we going to crust our fish with? I'm just going to use a little bit of avocado oil and rub it gently on the fish. That's all I'm going to do. Nothing. No, no spice, no nothing. Nothing. Okay. Because I want to keep pepper, this. Pepper, cracked pepper. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, yeah, I'm we, gonna, We're going to agree gonna, to disagree here. This I'm going to do. On no, my, I agree with you, but. On my table, there will always be a pepper grinder and some finishing salt for whatever taste you want. When I'm making this kind of fish for a salad like this, especially with the olives, the capers, and all that stuff, I wait for the people to choose their saltiness. Only because I just don't want it to be too salty for a salad. So oh. I just leave it on the table, and that's what we do. I don't know. I went to your restaurants for many years when there were no salt or pepper shakers on the table <laughs> because the chef knew best. That's right. Oh! oh at that time, at that time I knew better. Oh, okay. Now I know, uh, so let's go I, back. But now I'm older, so I know even better. <laughs> let's go back to the tuna. We've got a piece of raw tuna. I'm going to crust it with something. I, I like my Tokyo rub on it because we're not going to cook it very long, right? No. All we're putting is a sear on the outside. Right. So I've got my most intense heat. I've got my chunk of tuna. A little bit of avocado oil. Yep. I'm going to put a little spice rub on it. Pam's going to put salt and black pepper on it. Then we're going to put it on the super hot fire. If it's a, let's just say it's an inch thick. I would say. We're going to say 30 seconds, yeah, right? Yeah, 30 seconds, yeah. But do not touch the fish. Once you put it on the grill, be patient. Don't mess around with it. Because if you do, it will stick like nobody's business. So let and it you sear. lose all that, the good part of the sear, right? Oh, yeah, you, you lose it's, that. But, it sticks, but and that first, sticking part is what you want to put on the fish. Right, exactly. That's yeah. the flavor, and the, that's what you're looking yeah. for. So then you flip it over, yeah. and you do the same thing to the other side. Exactly. And literally, it's raw in the middle. Oh, yeah. And so, but people think it should still be hot somehow. Just like on a steak. They order right. a rare steak, right. and they want their steak to be hot. No, it's 110 degrees. Yeah. It's if like, you, it's 10 degrees more than your body if temperature. If you ask for rare... Even medium rare in a restaurant, do not expect the center of your steak to be hot. That is a mistake that people make, yeah. exactly. Because you cannot get both of the, that world. You know, it's like if you want it rare, you cannot get it hot in the middle. Right. That's the opposite of what rare is. Exactly. If you want it well, hot, then order it well done. Medium. Or even medium, it warms in the center. Medium will yeah. be, be um, warm. So we're back to it now. With this, to me, you don't have to let the tuna rest when it comes off the no. grill. No. You can pretty much go right away. There is no resting needed, no. Okay, so now we've got a chunk of tuna. What are we going to do? You're going to slice it But thin. are we going to slice across a grain? Are we going to look for a grain? What you, tell me. Look at the lines on the, on the piece of fish and go straight across that. Because mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you... Because a tuna definitely doesn't have much fat, but it definitely has a lot of sinewy and, and mm-hmm. muscles and all that stuff. So you want to make sure you cut through that. So you cut against it, and then you slice. To me, I always say, if you're not sure, slice thin. Thin will always give you more tenderness than thick. The thicker you cut, the more tenderness you're expecting and the more um, of a meat that needs to be, like a, like a beef tenderloin, for example, would be tender. So the thickness is not very important because the meat has no resistance. But in, a, in most meats, especially roast or grilled like this, you want to slice as thin as possible the thinner, the better, because it will be so tender. And it's so pretty. You get a little ribbon of yeah, tuna yeah. with the, the red center and the red center. Yeah. So it just looks real nice. Yeah. If you 
get it. And remember, when you're picking your tuna, you want a, a really nice fresh. You're going to eat it raw, essentially, right? right? right. Uh, so you want to make sure it's really fresh. So talk to your fishmonger. Make sure it's talk red. To Harry down at Mutual Fish, and he'll pick out a good piece for you. Yeah. Or Kevin, his son, is often there, too. They'll pick sure. out a good piece for you that is meant to be served raw. So just something, a heads up. So much to talk about with tuna, though. Ooh. Yeah. I had uh, a steak last night for a steak frite, and they cut it. It was a hanger steak, and they cut it with the grain. Ooh. So I had this stringy, this stringy. Oh, so no. easy to cut that correctly, but somebody didn't, know, didn't realize, right? So, yeah. yeah. Same with tuna. All right. Let's make, if we're making tuna, let's make a little green sauce to go with it, huh? On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, we're back. We're having breakfast here at the Hot Stove Society Show. I got to say, the chef team uh, outdid themselves today. Everything is perfect on our plate. Yes. Let's talk about green sauce. Uh, it's a little early in the season for a classic salsa verde. Right. Uh, it seems to me, I was just at our farm, and we're getting some chive sprouts. So we're getting a little bit of this and that, but not much of anything quite yeah. yet. The chive, is the chive is the hope of, the light of hope. Right. Because there there, there's plenty of chives in my backyard right now, but... That's the only one I have. But let's just say you were going, you like them at market. I end up, there's none in my neighborhood, so I end up at the Ballard Market or Shoreline Central. Pamela goes to PCC. If you're going into the herb area, what are you picking out for a salsa verde? Arugula. I'm going to go with arugula. Oh, you're, going, you're going as a base? Yeah. Okay. Because oh, that's nice. Because when I make a salsa verde, I want to make sure that I have, I always want some punginess out of, out of okay. the salsa verde because I'm trying to pick up. Some flavor. So is arugula then 50% of your salsa verde? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 75%? Yeah, okay. 75. So the, rest, the rest is just added herb that I'm going to... Like what? Like, I'm going to put fresh uh, thyme that I'm going to pick because that's a very strong herb that gives a lot of flavor. No stem, right? Because we're not no cooking stem. this. No, we're yeah. not cooking. We're just doing the blossom. You know, the, especially now they're the starting to, to bud and, and blossom. So you take all the top parts of the thyme in your garden... Put that into it. You get arugula, olive oil. I like to throw a little... Um, yeah, don't forget the olive oil because otherwise you won't be able to blend. Olive oil. And then um, I like to throw in some olives in my salsa uh-huh. just because I love the flavor of olives. They have so, to be green olives because it's salsa verde. Chef. Correct. Green okay. olives. I didn't, say, I, didn't say anything. I didn't say black. I said green. Green olives and um, lemon juice, obviously, because I like that flavor to come back up. Salt, pepper, keep it as simple as possible. Now, if I have, uh, sometime I buy basil for whatever reason. If I have leftover basil, I will throw that in there just for extra flavor. And it then will la- darken your verde, though, just A little FYI. dark, yeah. yeah. And then the little touch that I love to do, and then I learned in Morocco, is fresh cumin, oh. ground cumin, uh, just a little bit of cumin in there. Mm-hmm. And it somehow zing up the whole thing up in flavor, and I'm good with that. So and that can go in the fridge, and it can go for definitely at least a week or two in your refrigerator and then use that for, you know, steamed halibut or whatever you're going to do these days. 
um, that's coming in season. Even the black cod is in season two coming through. And you do a steamed piece of fish or lightly cooked or baked. You know, if you bake a piece of fish and you put that on top of it before it goes in the oven, you end up with all that beautiful thing baking on the fish as well. So you get all that extra flavor. So for me, the only thing I would change there is I would add more soft herbs. Sure. And soft herbs are the key here because right. generally we're not cooking it. You just baked it, which is fine. But right. soft herbs being tarragon leaves, chives, mint leaves, chives, parsley, sure. cilantro, anything that will blend up. Like rosemary right. doesn't blend up, right? No. Sage is, is a little too tough for because this. Because you don't, you don't really want to eat sage or rosemary raw. Uh-huh. It's not very good flavor. The only reason I said thyme is because the blossom of the thyme are tender, mm-hmm. and then you chop them all fine, and you put them in your uh, dressing. Once you blend them, it's fine. But mm-hmm. otherwise, I wouldn't use dry. I'm just like you. I wouldn't use those herbs that can dry. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't use that. Now, let's just say you have no option. You're in the middle of Alaska. It's not spring at all yet. You have no options. If you want to make something of that flavor profile, you got to go to your herb cabinet, your right. dried herb cabinet. Right. Now you can use a little bit of rosemary, this right. or that. But then you're using your spice blender. Correct. Right? You're, you don't, even a mortar and pestle won't get you to where you want to be. Not with rosemary. I keep a spice blender just like a coffee bean grinder. And then I, I will powder it or at least take it down quite a bit. Now you can make your own salsa verde just by adding olive oil to it. Right. And it's a dried version. And one of the things we didn't talk about when we talked about puntanesca earlier was... I always put dried oregano in my puttanesca oh. instead of fresh because to me it has a little bit different flavor and right. bite to right. it. It has a little bit of a bitter bite. So you can use your salsa verde like that. It's, right. it's perfectly good mixed into a butter, olive oil, and over a nice grilled hanger steak or skirt steak or rib steak or whatever. But uh, just because you don't have the fresh herbs doesn't mean you can't make a green pungent sauce to Correct. go on something. And to round it up, like you said earlier, mint is always a good thing to have. It's usually something that's good all year round uh, to find it either buying in a store or in a pot at the back door of the kitchen. It's always there. So there is an herb that is pretty much all year round that is green mm-hmm. and that is extremely pungent. So when you blend that into a sauce, you know, olive oil and whatever arugula I was using earlier, that definitely helps bring it to another dimension. And it's a freshness that you don't acquire from many herbs. So right. Really Later good. in the spring and uh, summer when it gets hot and the herbs start to bolt, right. there's a couple of uh, herbs that go really good with salsa verde that you could use in two different ways. So, for example, you're using an arugula base. Right. As it gets hotter, the arugula gets hotter, oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also bolts, and you get those beautiful, nutty arugula flowers. Oh, does it bolt and show up everywhere yeah. on my lawn? But the flowers, don't just, just, don't just mow it down. No. Eat the flowers. Yeah. They're really nutty and delicious. They taste very yeah. different than the leaves. And one thing I've been using, uh, I've been shaking. Every year, I have bronze fennel that grows up to about eight feet tall. Which should be right out there right now. It's and, starting. Well, I cut them every year at the end of summer, and I put them uh, under the porch and let dry them out. And then I shake them really good now, this time of year, and everything comes out, the seeds, whatever the birds haven't got, because the birds come and they found my stash. Uh-huh. The other day I was watching, <laughs> there was like eight birds under my porch. I'm like, what are they doing here? They eating were eating the, the seeds for my fennel. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I need to get to that first. They want the sweet breath that you get from Well, yeah, fennel. I mean, this time of year, you know, they're running out of food, so, you know, they're eating everything they can find in sight, and they mm-hmm. found my stash. I'm like, but shaking that thing and taking fresh fennel seeds to add to your salsa is mm-hmm. also another 
dimension that brings it. But you have to grind them. Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. grind them first. They, they got to be in a powder. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they're very tender and, and they're very fresh. Now, one of my favorite ingredients is fennel pollen. Mm. Have you ever shaken that? I have never done it personally, shaken the pollen off of I the flowers. I get some every year because oh. I have this big, big bush of bronze fennel. I love bronze fennel, and it's even sweeter than green fennel. And um, I have this big bush in my backyard that grows super tall, much taller than me. And uh, in the summertime, that's one of the things I do is I go and pick up a few heads of those fennels and then drain the, pan, the pollen mm-hmm. and then keep it. I've got to try that sometime. I've, you, uh, I, I just think it's an amazing ingredient. It's so true. Beautiful. So what you, beautiful. It's so true to what you think of fennel being, right? Yeah. yeah. It's got that gorgeous anise flavor. Yeah. And it's lingering, and it's sweet, and it's, it's got many different sides to it. That's, and again, sprinkle on a little salad at the end of a, just before serving. Oh, Pamela, I would think you're and such a, a roast pork nut. I would think you yeah. would love a salsa verde yeah. on roast, roast pork. pork. Yeah. Absolutely. I almost always like starting with parsley and cilantro, though. Oh. A lot of olive oil, garlic, preserved lemon. Right. It's and kind of my ideal Green sauce. Don't be afraid to use the stems, especially when you're pureeing like that, especially oh, yeah. cilantro. I mean, if you look at any other culture, they use the whole sprig of cilantro. Well, cilantro stems are like, they're so tender, they mm-hmm. melt. Yeah. They're, they're even more tender than some chives. No. Oh. Oh. Je te dis. Oh. Incroyable. Then chive? Then chive? Then chives. Okay, this is going to be a hard one for me. Abit Shakar is here today along with Goldie Singh, and they are going to talk about the new restaurant in downtown Seattle called The Mint Progressive. On Cairo Radio, that's what's going to happen when we come back. 97.3 FM. All right, welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. We've got one more hour to put in the books here. We're excited about that. We're going to talk about uh, Indian food, modern Indian food. We're going to talk a question from our listener up in Victoria. Yeah. I haven't been to Victoria in 30 years. I know. We might need to go visit Roberto. Let's go visit Roberto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. good. And then uh, we're going to wrap up the hour with our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Rubs. But first, let's jump right in to the Mint Progressive, a new restaurant down on First Avenue right here in downtown Seattle. We have Abhijit Sakar is here and Goldie Singh. Uh, Abhijit is the chef of the Mint uh, Progressive, and Goldie is the owner. I know that restaurant space as Heartwood Provisions. My, my friends opened that. They owned uh, the Met Grill they opened that years ago. And before that, it was McCormick and Schmick's restaurant. So wow. you are the third group that I know of in there because McCormick's, I think, went in when that building was first built. Such a big space. Oh, my God. You are very brave. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about the both of you, if you would, and uh, your journey and how you ended up here in downtown Seattle. Sure. Because so you already have one restaurant on Queen Anne, right? We do. We do. Yeah. We have uh, Roti Cuisine of India in Lower Queen Anne. Uh, that's more of a traditional, classic Indian restaurant. Mm-hmm. And with Mint, uh, it's a new concept. It's progressive Indian cuisine where we do a modern take on traditional Indian cuisine incorporating local ingredients from from the region and using modern techniques to present it in a new way. 
that's our take on progressive Indian. I'm from Mumbai, and I've always been into like you know food, and you know I always thought I wanted to open a restaurant one day. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in New York City, half in India, half in New York City. You know, always wanted to do business, something in food, and I got an opportunity to to open uh, or to acquire Roti Cuisine of India, which was there for a long time, and we revamped it, revamped the the menu, and did our our take on traditional Indian cuisine. That kind of landed me into Mint Progressive uh, because I wanted to bring. I didn't want to do another Indian restaurant. You know, right? Another one, another one lost same. in the shuffle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to to elevate Indian cuisine, and I'm just doing my part in bringing that to Seattle. I you think it, I think it's something we see a lot with immigrants or with people from foreign for foreign country. Is the second generation is itching at their finger, going, "We need to update this. We need to make it for Americans, not for Indians. We need to make it for." You know, and and this is how this whole thing comes. And you realize we have the best product right around us. We don't need to go and, you know, get product that's not existing or that's, you know, dried out or whatever. You know, you have beautiful, fresh product. And I think we see that in all the different culture. Then people start adapting to the region where they are. And that's a very normal phenomenon. You I certainly think. did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So they went from very classic French to just very local and seasonal. One of the things I find fascinating about what you just said was that as a chef now for 45 years in Seattle, I always got asked by every interviewer, what's the next hot thing? What's going to be the new thing? (laughs) I have been saying progressive Indian for 25 years. Uh, It just seemed like, I mean, I love the flavors, the natural flavors of the food, but it just seemed like it needed to be updated because, you know, all the vegetables were cooked to death. And uh, you you see it. And I I go to Indian restaurants around here, which are very much, I think, what you're calling traditional Indian food like House of India or Saffron Grill up at Northgate or uh, you name it, uh, India Palace in, uh, in Ballard. I like that kind of food, but I've been waiting for this little update, this freshness uh, for so long. Yes, because we have the same food for almost 50 years now. Mm-hmm. When, you know, we're, we're doing the same, same food over and over again. You know, another place pops up and it's, you know, just chicken tikka masala. Right, or, right. Or butter chicken, you know. And I didn't want to do it's that. It's delicious, you know. but it's, yeah. it's... Yeah, it's good. It's, you know... But there is plenty of it. You don't need to make more of it. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. So yeah. I don't need to do the same thing over and over again. Exactly. I want to I wanna innovate, you know, and elevate it and bring something new. And that's, that's, that was kind of the thought behind Mint. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more question on that subject. Um, uh, Vikram has been a friend of mine up in Vancouver, B.C. for many years. And uh, his restaurant... When I when I go, um, it's called Vijay's. Um, Vijay's, yeah, Vijay, Vikram Vij. His wife did much of the cooking, but he's also just the consummate kind of host and uh, front man, uh, chef also. He was frustrated, and when they opened their restaurant down here over by Amazon, they were frustrated because they couldn't get Indians into the restaurant. They were trying something new, but the the Indian population wouldn't support them in that way. How are you faring in that world where? They have a certain. There's a certain expectation of, of maybe mama's cooking, of mama's prices, of uh, all sorts of things. Like a lot of uh, immigrants deal with, right? That happened with Vietnamese cuisine. It happened with every cuisine. French where, cuisine. French, French, yeah, where people kind of step out. Yeah. Yes. Um, I. I'm not sure. I. I'm pretty sure I heard about that restaurant. I wasn't in Seattle personally when that opened, 
but I think that was right around 2014 or mm. 15 or yeah. something yeah. like that. But I think progressive uh, Indian kind of popped up in 2016 in India, and then it just kind of branched out and ah. went all over. So from then to now, I think the perception has changed, mm-hmm. and people are ready for something new. And and I think that 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 stepping stone, like that, kind of put us progressive Indian on it on the map. So we're not dealing much of a pushback in terms of there are people who appreciate like yeah this is something new you know this is where I would want to go out when I'm going out with my wife for my right. anniversary you know or a birthday you know right so yeah. we. The reception has been good so far, good. and a great cocktail program to go with it, right? Yes, we are. Yeah, we have a great cocktail program that incorporates some of our ingredients from that we use in our cooking to pair it with the food. Hartwood tried the whole cocktail. I mean, that that was what that yeah. bar was based yeah, yeah. on a cocktail program, and I just don't know what happened there. Other than the restaurant space is huge. Did you take the whole space? Uh, yeah, I took over the oh whole space. Oh my goodness, that is a what is that like a 250 seat restaurant? It's more like 160. Oh, okay. oh yeah, 160, yeah. Even 160. That's and 160. Two kitchens and a prep kitchen. Wow. I looked at it. I, I, my friend owned it. So uh, Jim Rowe, did Jim you, Rowe? Yeah, yeah. I, I looked at it myself. He and I were thinking about something there, but uh, it was too big for me. Oh yeah. Are you <laughs> using the wood fire still, or did you? No, no. Oh, I got rid got, of that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a beast. Yeah, that that. That thing was a beast, but no, I got rid of it. As soon as I got in there, I was like, take it out. <laughs> yeah. It took me a couple of thousand to just get it out. Too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk more about the menu at the, the Mint Progressive. Uh, your first and Madison, what is your, that's Cross Street, the, uh, the, the intersection. Uh, it's spring and uh, spring. first. Spring. First, spring first and spring. We're going to continue with uh, Abhijit Sakar. He's the chef at the Mint Progressive. And talk a little bit about the menu and maybe what some of the stars are on the menu and what people should try first and maybe in what order. When we come back on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. that you're hanging with us we've been uh, we are in cahoots here with our friends Abhijit Sakar and Goldie Singh they have a new restaurant down on first and spring called the Mint Progressive Pamela you discovered this restaurant after you booked them as guests <laughs> we booked them but then I decided to go check oh, you it out yeah. and and I'm so happy to meet the chef because it was one of the finest meals I've had in Seattle in years yeah thank you it was spectacular um, we started with the cauliflower we had that incredible tuna with whatever that crunchy stuff was the my pap- favorite pap rice yeah the pap rice brilliant yes um, we had the lamb the short rib My favorite was the mushroom and couscous. Okay. And we had the seafood curry. And your naan is the best on the planet. <laughs> so wow. Thank you. And the dining room There's is... There's non parallel. <laughs> it was that's, that's so impressive because it doesn't pretty. sound very Indian. Yes. <laughs> well, when, when you read the but, menu, you see couscous. You see well, pasta. you see the way it's spiced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was t- trying to tease the waiter because all those gorgeous sauces that you make come in a separate container. I'm like, yeah, you guys have got to do a lot of dishes tonight. <laughs> is it, but uh, tell me about that tuna. The tuna is uh, basically we use pop rice into that for the crunchiness. Mm-hmm. 
and also we use one kind of mixture that is called navaratan mixture it is basically made out of chickpea flour uh-huh. ah. that gives a crunchiness and also like we we use like kind of indian pickle mango kind of pickle oil so that gives the tanginess to the tuna mm-hmm. and we use also japanese spice it's called togarashi Love togarashi. <laughs> it gives like that's very benefit. progressive. Yeah. <laughs> I have a togarashi in my line over yeah, there. The yeah. Tokyo rub, uh, and then the cauliflower. Cauliflower is like our like best. It's a national dish, right? Cauliflower in India, not national dish, but if you go hundred mile, you'll get like different kind of flavor, different kind of food. So that dish from the south part of India, and. Uh, we don't use cauliflower like that way. We use especially the chicken or paneer. But we are making with the cauliflower that dish. And we use sour cream, which generally don't use in India. Mm-hmm. And also we use like coconut chutney along oh. with that one. Oh, wow, yeah. So that gives the like basic Indian flavor, a little bit of the sour cream, so that gives tanginess. So it balances that. Yeah, my yes. the people at the table with me were not cauliflower eaters, and they were just gobbling it <laughs> yeah. up. Where was your so training good. from? Where do you come from? I I did training from the India like Culinary Institute of India. Three years I did culinary college. Then I moved to Cruise Line, Italy uh-huh. Cruise Line for three years. Uh-huh. Then I, again I back to India, and I worked from like lot of uh, state in India, and I visited lot of place in India. Then in two thousand. Sixteen, we started like this concept, like progressive Indian concept in New Delhi. Wow. So that's restaurant was name as Iqbal. Mm-hmm. That was the first restaurant in India, like modern Indian cocktail with the modern Indian food. That's then, great. Yeah, so that that concept we bring over here in USA, 2017, from San Francisco. Then we move around. And wow. you've been uh, accepted. The new concept has been accepted yes. to where you go. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. If I had the menu in front of me, I'd read off a few things because, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I, I have no basis, right? Terry, you've been to India. My daughter's been to India. Uh, I have never been, so I don't really know what real Indian food is. But is, is, uh, I just find it fascinating that you've been able to transition such oh, yes. a traditional cuisine into something so upfront and, and progressive. Basically, like in Indian food, if we're talking about Indian food, so it's a lot of spice right and also some places there is like spiciness also like chilies and all but over here people are not habituated to that kind of spiciness we bring down that one and we use like local uh, like serrano or jalapeno or we use paprika instead of like red chili powder in india Mm -hmm. we use the paprika over here so that everybody can yeah have that and they can feel the taste that's where progressive uh, comes in but (laughs) Always the, the taste and flavor-wise, we keep in the same like Indian. So in the, in the sphere of yeah. The, right. yeah, that's our motto. Tell me about curry. You know, curry to me is a little bit like um, you know the masala or the you know the yeah. house. Asalanut. Yeah, the the house spice, right? It's not always the same. No, no. In America, I think we tend to think of curry as coming out of the same jar, whereas I think of Indian curries being more house-made with you know regional. Certain, yes. And, mm-hmm. and individual yeah. houses. So, what is your curry? What? How do you make your curry? What is so what basically like? like different between like over here or Europe cuisine or Indian cuisine? So we make everything. Like if you talk about the pork bindaloo, 
so generally the pork cook into the sauce mm-hmm. and we make all together like pork then potato vegetable into the sauce yeah not separately right okay. all the curry from the india basically is sauce basically is sauce okay is we call as a curry mm-hmm. and it's cook with like same meat or vegetable all together over here we cook same in the together but we keep separate then for the presentation wise i see but we when we cook we cook into the gravy okay that and so is there curry a, basically is kind of sauce okay whatever. so it's more like a, a curry gravy or yes yeah, gravy. Yeah. We, we call curry or gravy in india oh really yep it's so fun uh, my wife is particularly fond of dosas dosas yeah. uh, and uh, dev patel who was our farm manager for many years and is now running around the country working in different restaurants uh, in San Francisco at the moment, he never wanted to get boxed into the Indian corner with his cooking. You know, you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah, when you have that ethnic uh, ethnicity, people want to say, well, you're, you're on staff meal today. You're making curry or, you know, stuff. How, how do you burst out of that box that people want to put you in sometimes? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like how, how, how did you get comfortable enough to break out of the cuisine? For me, it's like uh, not that much difficulty. But when we take the curry and we make something different, we, we want to do something different. Mm-hmm. So I introduce like local ingredients over here and with that, what curry goes well with that one. Like if we talk about the Alepi seafood curry, so it's basically like we use from the fish and, but over here we use like mussel, clam. Shellfish, that's here. It's balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Even the, if you talk about the pomegranate uh, glazed pork ribs, usually we do the bindaloo sauce with a little bit of tanginess, but over here we use like pomegranate glaze also, mm-hmm. so that gives a little bit of sweetness. sweetness yeah. So it's gold. Sweet and, and sour, also strawberry, Everybody strawberry loves chutneys that. on top. Mm-hmm. Sweet and sour. Is very it's a winning situation. With the pork. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. If you want to go to the Mint uh, Collective, uh, how should people find you? Or Mint uh, Progressive. I keep saying collective. Uh, they can go on mintprogressive.com. Okay. Uh, all our pages, Instagram, everything is Mint Progressive. They can come check out our Easter brunch that we're doing on Easter Day. Oh, nice. Uh, you yeah. know, that's something special that, Very. you know, it's different from our regular menu. So, Pamela, if you want to come down, you know. Thank you. Yeah, Easter brunch. She wears very beautiful hats on Easter. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but the dining room, you did a beautiful job. Uh, you, it, it feels like a restaurant that you want to behave and look pretty and uh, show off to your friends. So thank you for creating such a lovely environment. It was, it was a challenge, basically. It was a beautiful space existing. And I didn't want to have somebody who had been to Hartwood come in and be like, oh, this is Hartwood. Yeah. yeah. Right? That was my challenge. That, that is a like rough pot. It's always a hot pot when you take someone else's restaurant. Yeah, yeah, because people have been there. Yeah. So, you know, it's a challenge. Yeah. So I had to change that. But yeah, overall, it turned out good. All right. Well, congratulations yeah, and all the best. Oh, Head on down you. and I will check be out visiting. the Mint Progressive down at First and Spring in downtown Seattle. Up next, Roberto in Victoria, a longtime listener, has a question for us on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Garlic's stinky and delicious. Garlic's healthy and nutritious, and it tastes so fine. So kicking, garlic with 
crawfish or chicken gets me in the mood. Amore. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show in Cairo. We're here at the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. As you can hear, our, our breakfast did not kill our audience. <laughs> they are. She's always something you hope for. <laughs> That's a one step forward for us. <laughs> we haven't seen the people that were in the last shows. Uh, they haven't come back. They haven't. Well, yeah. <laughs> That was pretty good breakfast, huh? A little Spanish tortilla, ruby chard with the stems. How many of you all cook your ruby chard with the stems? Stems are good. Stems are super tasty. I'm loving that. Just got to cook them separately and then combine them. Uh, Roberto from Victoria. What's going on here, Pam? One of our many, many listeners. Yes, he, he, and he's an engaged listener. We hear from him. Um, I think I sent you the email he sent after we were talking about vegan food. With it, He sent a little cartoon. I was like, I don't know if Tom really has enthusiasm for this subject. <laughs> it was hilarious. So he, he listens. And I don't he, mind vegan food. I just ate a date, for God's sake. It doesn't, doesn't get more vegan than that. I was thinking of how good it would be with that little lamb that was running. <laughs> but he, he had a wonderful question. So we should just read it. Why don't you just read it right from his you read email? It. Come on now. All You're right. the producer. I can't do your whole I job I come for you. across recipes with things like garlic powder or powdered onion and would like to know if powdered is essential to taste or how your uh, cooks could substitute real and fresh garlic or onion. And then, of course, how does that apply to other powdered ingredients? Ingredients. When... When do you need... I'll tell you the one time you need to stay with powdered onion. You're going to tell and me? And garlic, yeah. yeah. When you make cheese... Now, is this show the Tom and Terry show, or <laughs> is this Ask Pamela show? It's when you make homemade Cheez-Its. Oh, who, who does to, that? Homemade, homemade Cheez-Its. Cheez-its. Yeah, and they all, they and all, then you chef, do you even know what a Cheez-It is? <laughs> what kind of cheese are you making? What kind of milk are you using? <laughs> no. okay, he wants to know what kind of milk you're using for your, <laughs> making your cheese out of... He doesn't, know about, he doesn't know about the it part. Cheez-Its. It's a cracker. It's a oh, Cheez-Its. Oh, I heard from here, I heard cheese. I was like, wow, that's kind of weird, but I'll go with that. Okay. Oh, Cheez-Its. She uses only fresh shove in her Cheez-Its. Oh, yeah, I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. The, re- the recipe requires powdered garlic and onion. Requires. Requires. Mm-hmm. But back and you have to, your, to follow that. You have to follow that. Of you, course. You couldn't have chunky you onions want, in your cheeses. Do you want to start this answer or do you want me to? Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. So I would say it's a little bit like duck confit, any, or, any sort of preservative that you use in food, like canned tuna in oil or duck confit. You don't have to, to use that anymore. Right. You can make it fresh, make your own. But it is a flavor profile. If you're trying to make a Cheez-It that you want to get to the original flavor profile at Kraft or Nabisco, whoever makes Cheez-Its, you're not going to get there if you try to substitute fresh garlic for this or fresh onions for that. Even if you're going to oven dry it and then powder it, you're not going to get to that same place. And you're going to get there. If you do get there, it's going to be three weeks later. <laughs> but you and could, your craving but for Cheez-Its will be long gone. Long gone. But you could follow suit to the uh, Indian we just... Uh, follow, you could call it progressive cheese it, and have actually a cheese it. You can eat it <laughs> using some fresh ingredient instead of <laughs> dried ingredient. 
Ever is there ever a need for powdered garlic? Yeah, or, of course. Or powdered? No, yeah, there is. When, there is when, would, when would you like? Well, for example, my nephews always had toast in the morning, and they would shake powdered garlic on it before they went to school. It was the gross, yeah. grossest thing I've ever seen. Me too. But they did it all the time, every day. To this day, they still sprinkle powdered garlic, even though he's a chef now. And one's a restaurant manager. They still like that flavor of the What's powdered garlic. So on butter? On buttered toast. Wow. So it's like garlic bread, essentially. But it's a very different than, say, fresh garlic with fresh herbs and things oh, like yeah. that on it. So, so See, that's, so, so, that's so one place. To answer can... his question, I would say, yeah, you could change it. But I probably wouldn't. What and I would do is make sure that your powdered garlic in your, in your cabinet is not 15 years old. Right. And right. also... If you're doing some curing, for example, of, let's say, uh, like we were talking about duck confit. Let's say you, you want to do a duck leg with garlic. You know, obviously, fresh garlic is the first thing that comes to mind. But there are some dry rubs that you can make with powdered garlic that will have a different flavor. That's one place where you can use it. My recommendation is finish what you have in your cupboard and then try using fresh only. <laughs> that would be my, uh, my recommendation. My recommendation would be, you know, buy fresh. It's not that expensive. Buy fresh powdered garlic once a year, and then you don't have to worry about right. old stuff. So, and What about herbs? Um, same thing. They just, get, they just lose their pungency. So you have to buy them the smallest container you can buy, uh, even though it's more expensive per ounce. Buy the small one and just replace it more often. Well, I, uh, oregano is the one that comes to my mind. I don't like it fresh. Or maybe it I just, just have a have bad the same ver- pungency. variety in my yeah. yard. Maybe it's just because that one's so bitter. And I love the dried Greek oregano. On the stem. On the stem. Yeah. yeah. It's just... Different, completely different profile. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely different flavor, different profile. Would you rather have oregano that's been grown uh, near the white cliffs of Santorini <laughs> or the one that was grown in the San Jose Valley of California, so just or my muddy yard. Or your muddy <laughs> yeah. yard. Here, here's a funny story for you. Uh, Is it related to the topic? It isn't because the topic's okay. over. The topic. <laughs> Didn't we answer the question? Yes. So I'm over at the farm this last week, uh, working on my projects over there. You know, I go for my honeydew list. We had steak one night. We had the roast lamb, which was my taste of the week. Another night, and then uh, I'm looking in the freezer. There's a single trout. Because everything at the farm is in the freezer because we only get over there once a week, right? Anyway, there's a single trout, and there's some duck breast. So I thought, well, let's, let's do the duck breast. I love good duck breast. So I pull it out the day before. I never do that. I pull it out the day before so it thaws naturally. It's in, the fr- it's in the fridge now. It's ready to go for dinner. I start to cook it. And then I'm uh, – you remember me talking about my mother and, you know, going through her freezer, yeah, her yeah. chest freezer. She lived yeah. by herself. She was yeah. f- four foot – Eight or whatever she ended up being, uh, sixty pounds or eighty pounds, whatever she was, and I you know, we had a, a bet as siblings when we went through our freezer. What was the oldest thing we were going to find? Yeah, find after she died. I won the bet. It was pine nuts, nineteen ninety four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm cooking this duck, and it's like this is so weird, and it's it looks like. Are you sure this isn't chicken? I asked Jackie. Are you sure, because it, it looked look a little blonde. So I'm cooking it, and it, it kind of just boils away into this nothingness, even though I'm trying to give it a sear. And so I said, this is, I taste it, it's totally gross. So Jackie goes back and looks, looks at the package. It was 10 years old. Oh, no. <laughs> it was 2012 duck in my, like, how did this end up in our freezer? 
with this beautiful spring lamb yeah. and this really great Palouse country beef. The phrase that and comes I out of that 10 is... 10-year-old duck breast. I'm your, empty your freezer, my freezer Your today. freezer or your cupboard are not a museum. You're not charging for got, people to come I, and visit. I guess it's... <laughs> I guess it just got lost in there. Even powdered garlic wouldn't have helped that duck. But I've, we always gave my mother such a hard time for keeping ancient history in there her freezer. In, your house. in my own chest freezer. And to go back to the spice cabinet, uh, Tom, you've always had a great example on that, which is empty your jars, see how much you have left, mark your jar with a marker, empty them, use that for the next week, and then go to Spice Market. And then ask them for that much only. Don't fill up the jar. Don't buy a whole jar. Just buy what you need. And then see how long that's going to take you to use. And then you're going to go, oh, wow, I didn't use that in a whole year. I actually didn't even use that. That means you don't use that product. So only wait till you need it to buy it. <laughs> you know, there is some uh, example of cupboards that have, you know, you perfectly know what I'm talking about. When you see some jars in your cupboard, you haven't even touched it in five years. You know, that stuff needs to go. It's really not good. It has no life left. It's like, get rid of it. And just remember that if you want to use it next time, just buy some. Because the, the flavor will be there, contrary to what you have so now. So to, to put, put an exclamation point on the powdered garlic, yes, use it. And the powdered onion, yes, use, the, use it already made for you. Thank you, Roberto. Thanks for being thank a good you. listener. Yeah, thank you, Roberto. When we come back, it's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by... Rub with love, spice rubs and sauces on Cairo Radio, the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Victim unit right here, a little uh, episode of SPU, uh, SVU, Special Victim Unit. <laughs> Isn't that a TV show, SVU? Yeah. Yeah, law, the other one is Seattle Public Utilities. Yeah. We have a special victim unit right here on the hot stove this week. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat. It's time for our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spices. They'll help you to balance uh, and assist in preparing well-seasoned meals. Rub with Love is available locally at Bartell Drugs, made in Washington stores, and grocery stores like Thriftway or Metropolitan Markets, Shoreline Central Market, Ballard Market. Maybe you're headed to the Palm Springs area where I just was, and I just bought at Jensen's my own Rub with Love oh. Chinese 12 spice, just so you know. I like when you pay full retail. I know, I do too. <laughs> and the amazing thing about being in Palm Springs, it's like Seattle. Everybody every, everybody's there. from Seattle. Yeah, so, from Seattle. Yeah. So they all Palm buy my products at Jensen's Fine Foods. There you go. There you go. All right. Let's you play. want to tell people how to play the, play the game? Yes, I have 15 amazing questions today, five for each contestant. We're so happy to welcome birthday Ben. Happy uh, birthday, Ben. In the middle. Then he gets to go to the gift shop afterwards, you know, and pick three, three free Rub with Love three products. Rubs. Yeah. But we always start with the chef in the hat. 
I'm ready to, to go. Get the first five. Here we go. True or false? Chopsticks were initially created for cooking, not as an eating utensil. That is true. It's absolutely true. What is considered the highest international culinary award? Culinary is Meilleur Ouvrier de France. In France. In the world. In the world. That would be... Well, I wonder why we don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> Bridget's got her hand up. Figure it Bridget, out. what are you going to say? Come help Terry. <laughs> What's this the highest my culinary my award? Okay. Yeah, the book is door. I was going for the Michelin stars. Uh, that's, okay, that's why I asked culinary, because it's not just culinary. Oh. Chef, you're a loser. It's, okay. it's a restaurant and And what culinary. was the one you were saying? The book is door is the actual door. chef's um, competition. Yearly in Lyon. Before France. Padma Lakshmi, it was Pablo okay. Goose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you get that one. Uh, what causes the green ring you sometimes get in hard-boiled eggs? Oxidation. I think, go that? I think we can go with that. The like, green... if you have, like, for example, if you were to use a blade that was not um, stainless steel. I'm just going to remind you one second that the yolk is inside the white. I, I wasn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Aging, uh, old, age, old age. The green ring around the yolk of the hard-cooked egg happens because the hydrogen in the egg white combines with the sulfur in the yolk. The cause is most often related to boiling the eggs too hard for too long. The green ring can also be caused by a high amount of iron in the cooking water. True or false, the cellulose walls in mushrooms allow f or make it almost impossible to screw up cooking them. Yes, on the tenderness, but no on the screwing up, because you can screw up a mushroom cooking <laughs> easily. And not having your pan hot enough if you're trying to saute it and have all the water come out, the cellulose break down. And, oh, my you know. God. <laughs> he's talking he's, like a real chef. If you don't pick up the, the pace, these young ladies in uh, our the, audience are going to go to sleep on the us. The special polymer chitin in mushroom cell walls ensure a tender texture even at high temperatures. True or false? One of the most disturbing cooking facts. Celebratory pies served in the 16th century England contained live animals that were released when the pie was cut. Oh, that sounds so gross. I'm going to say yes. True. <laughs> it is true. Often A bird, they, probably. They put live frogs, squirrels, and blackbirds in the pies. Yeah. Ooh, ah. that came flying out. How'd you do? Four out of five. Well, that was generous, Chef. <laughs> hey, I'm the, one, I'm the one writing the points. Yes, you are, for sure. Ben, I wouldn't take that. It's your birthday. Go ahead, I, I'd ask for a recount. <laughs> Beat me. Yeah. Ben, what method of... This is multiple choice. Uh, is the healthiest way uh, to cook food to preserve... Vegetables, specifically, to preserve nutrients? Frying, microwaving, or grilling? Vegetable. Really? Uh, like microwave. microwave. For, yep. The pound cake used to have a literal pound of each ingredient. What are the ingredients that go into pound cakes? Butter, sugar, flour, yes. eggs. Yes. Yay! Yes. Wow, man, that was impressive. Thank you. Uh, on cutting boards, is plastic or wood considered more safe or equally Hygienic, plastic or wood. Ben, say something like, "It depends on which authority you're speaking to." <laughs> the, yeah, the health department's going to tell you plastic. 
Some people I'm, claim I'm plastic cutting boards are safer because they lack porous material of wooden cutting boards. However, the science community's verdict is that both materials can be breeding grounds for bacteria without proper maintenance. Cool. So, it's a trick question. Either trick one. Trick question. Either one. True or false? Stuffed camel is the largest item ever found on a menu. True. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can come up with anything bigger. Whole stuffed camel is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the largest menu item in the world. <laughs> no blackbirds in that, right? Uh, you nailed it. Um, soup has been around a long, long time. The oldest soup recognized is from 6,000 B.C. Uh, was the recipe a stew of sparrows and hippopotamus or venison and trout or potatoes and turnips? Potatoes and turnips. It was sparrows and hippopotamus. Oh, yeah, it was. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wow. Three yeah. out of five for Ben. Nice. Happy that was generous. Thank Very you. Very nice. <laughs> Not Thank quite you. as generous as he was to himself. <laughs> that was, yeah. the, yeah, the scorekeeper seems to always win. Tom Douglas, true or false? Puffer fish is the most dangerous dish to prepare or eat. Yes, true. And because of this... Remember chef- Peter the Puffer we saw at the beach in Hawaii? <laughs> yeah. uh, because of this, chefs need to secure a license before being cleared to serve this dish. That's true. The American Fat Salvage Committee urged housewives to donate excess fat from cooking uh, to the Army in World War II. What did they use those excess fats for? They would... Um Use them for Dapper Dan hair gel. They use these fat reserves to create explosives. Oh. Whoa. Number three, when cooking with alcohol, not all of the liquor burns off. Usually, what percentage is remaining? I'll say 2%. This website said 80, but I don't believe it. I don't believe it. 80? Yeah. No way. No way. So we're, we're, we're going with Tom. True or false, improper ventilation of cooking fumes causes 3% of worldwide deaths. Yes, true. It is true. And finally, um, what does a recipe need to earn copyright protection? A recipe? Is this a trick question? Sort of. I know what it needs. It needs a lawyer. (laughs) I'll just say it has to be published Copyright law does not protect recipes that are just ingredients However, the delivery, which includes instructions, descriptions, illustration Is protected by copyright There you go, so I win There you go Who's our winner today, Chef? Well, uh, actually, Tom and I are tied at four Ben is at three Ben, you are wonderful Do I get a birthday point? Well, the good news about Ben is it's his birthday And he gets to go shop for three rubs uh, for free In our gift shop here at the Rubber If you want to be part of the show like the Mighty Ben, you can join us on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas & Co. Or buy a ticket, you cheapskate, to join us here at the studio at hotstove.com. You get breakfast and a hot cup of coffee with that ticket. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, technical producer Sean McFadden, and our uh, amazing editor, Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre, at the studio. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show... You can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. The best thing since sliced bread and butter. And it needs to happen fast. But no, but I just think it.